Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today's a very interesting podcast episode. It's one that I've been waiting for for quite a, some time now, actually, since my travels to Spain back in the month of April. Because on the plane, as I was going to Portugal, because I couldn't go to Spain, and that's a long story, we won't get into that, but... As I was on the plane, got my seat somehow because I had to change my flight the week before to Portugal instead of Spain, I got an emergency row exit. So that was pretty nice. A gentleman sits down next to me. And here's the thing. You all know that I'm a priest, but I don't dress like a priest on a plane. And for some people, they might think that's scandalous and that's a great place where I could do ministry. But if I'm not doing something ministry-related upon arrival, uh, typically I just dress in casual wear, partly because it's a bit more comfortable. Other clothes breathe better than the clerical shirt and black pants and whatnot. And the second thing is, is I'm just kind of sensitive to the fact that some people have had negative experiences of the Catholic Church or that maybe someone may have even been, you know, molested or something like that. And so I don't want to bring up any wounds or memories or anything like that. So that's kind of my own personal reasons why I do what I do. And so I don't typically volunteer the fact I'm a priest just because of those same reasons. And I was sitting next to this gentleman whose name I learned was Ken. And Ken and I started talking back and forth about what we do. Usually I tell people I write, so I've written books, I've done podcasts, everything like that. And he shared that he was a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I kind of had a familiarity with the name Wycliffe, John Wycliffe and such. And and we started talking and eventually I divulged. I was a priest and whatnot. And we talked for several hours on this flight across the pond until we all decided it was time to get some shut-eye. We had an engaging conversation about faith. And it was one that I wanted to bring now to this podcast and just to talk with him about his missionary work. Of course, there's lots of different missionaries in the Catholic Church, and so now we'll learn something a bit about the Protestant missionary work, uh, and especially this work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. So, very excited to have Ken with me. Ken joined Wycliffe Bible Translators back in 1992. His ministry has spanned five countries on four continents, and he has served as a pilot, a mechanic in Brazil and Niger, and the director of technical services in Cameroon, and director of training for international media services in the U.S. And now Ken joins a Catholic priest to talk about Wycliffe Bible Translators. So thanks so much, Ken, for agreeing to this. And I'm so appreciative that from that time on the plane to now, we've continued conversation through Facebook and seeing each other's posts and such. So thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Friar Edward, for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And uh, yeah, it was it was the same with me when I changed my seat and I found out I was sitting next to you. I didn't know what to expect, but I had an enjoyable flight. Really enjoyed getting to know you and getting to meet you. It's very seldom that you talk to someone on the plane for a very long time. In fact, a lot of my domestic flights, people come in with headphones on and they're not very engaged in conversation. So this was completely different, which was a, a welcome uh, to me at least. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I was kind of expecting to sleep some, but uh, I'm an engaging, outgoing person. I love talking to people. And so uh, I re- I'd realized we spent five hours, I think it was, of the seven-hour flight just conversing back and forth. But 
I always love to learn new things from people. You told me that you were a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And as I mentioned just a few moments ago, I had some familiarity with Wycliffe, with John Wycliffe and such, just from my studies and hearing him talked about in class. In fact, we always would refer to him in Catholic seminary as John Wycliffe. And you mentioned to me that (laughs) both are acceptable, but you guys tend to go with Wycliffe. So just tell me a little bit about who is John Wycliffe. Okay, John Wycliffe um, was an English philosopher in the 1300s. He was also a theologian, reformer, a Catholic priest, and a seminary professor at the University of Oxford. Um, For our context, his most significant achievement was in 1382 when he finished translating the first complete English language version of the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek. And that's why our founder, Cam Townsend, decided to use his name for our organizational name. Okay. So it's not like a Protestant religion or anything like that, or a denomination like Methodism or or, Protest- or Presbyterianism or Lutheranism or anything like that. It's just kind of a ministry then that emerged. You have a founder who, knowing the story of John Wycliffe, wanted to kind of pay tribute to him for his contribution to biblical studies and scholarship and translation. That's correct. We're, we're an interdenominational organization. Um, some people would say non-denominational, but he he was very moved by this by the Lord to start Bible translation back in the 1930s uh, in Guatemala. He was down there selling Spanish Bibles and realized this one Ketchikal Indian wouldn't buy a Bible from him because he he said why should he and and John and Cam Townsend said well you know it's the Word of God it's God's gift to us and his message for the world. And he said, well, if God's so big, how come God doesn't speak Ketchikal? So that's what started Cam into the translation organization, uh, founded the translation organization he did. And he went back and he came to the States, did some studying, and then went back down and translated the first New Testament for the Ketchikal Indians in Guatemala. And that was in 1930s. And uh, then he founded this organization. And here we are, 5,000 members strong and still going. And that's very interesting to me, too, because a lot of our Catholic saints, uh, some and missionaries for that matter, some who aren't saints, whatever, uh, they did a lot with language work. So St. Jerome being one of the biblical translators of, of the early days, really. But then there were these missionaries, St. Cyril and Methodius, and they pretty much created like the Syriac alphabet or one of the one of those alphabets in order to communicate the faith. And I can think of some of the missionaries that came here to the United States and they were ministering to the native Americans and, and they had to learn their language and teach them in their, in the way that they would understand. So uh, understanding language and communicating the gospel is something that so many people have had a role in throughout the history of Christianity. Very much so. Um, and you mentioned the process. It is a difficult process because you have to find somebody who you can communicate with in a language group, and then you learn the language, and then you have to develop an alphabet that will reflect all the sounds that that language makes. Because not every we don't all not all languages have a twenty six letter alphabet like we do, and they have different sounds that they can make. And then you have to start teaching the people how to read and write their own language as you're doing the translation process and working through it. It's a, it can be a long process. Some of the early translations took over 20 years to complete. 
That's but, amazing. Uh, computers, yeah, computers have sped that up quite a bit now uh, with language software and things. But um, yeah, it's it's a work, it's a labor of love. It really is. You joined Wycliffe Bible Translators back in 1992, and I'm not sure where you were at before that. But how did you discover them, and why is it that you became involved? Well, I was actually born and raised in Missouri on a farm in the Ozarks. And uh, the only one of my siblings that went to college, I got a degree in nuclear engineering. And then I moved to Arkansas, was working there. And after about four years, I really, the Lord spoke to me um, and just convicted me that I needed to be doing something with my life for him to pursue a ministry. Now, I, I'm not an evangelist or a preacher. I, I love to talk to people, but there was one thing I liked to fly. And when I found out that many mission agencies utilize pilots and special aircraft to transport their missionaries and supplies to hard to reach areas of the world, I thought I can do that. So I made application to a school that had a special training program for training missionary pilots. They call them jungle pilots. And the last day in Arkansas before heading off, I spent, I met this guy uh, through a friend who was a former pilot with Wycliffe. And I spent five hours with him hearing his stories of flying in the jungles of Bolivia, supporting Bible translators. And that's what kind of put the seed in my heart, which led me to my uh, eventual joining Wycliffe as a pilot mechanic back in 1992. Um, the interesting thing was my wife, who I met at Bible College, Moody Bible Institute, had also felt called to serve in a support role with Wycliffe. Um, and we met and together decided this is the organization we wanted to go with. So that's that's kind of the story. You were a person of faith, I take it then, before your encounter with Wycliffe. And so it was just kind of that response from being a believer and saying, what more can I give or what can I do that you became a missionary? That's correct. I, I made a, a profession of faith when I was nine years old. And then when I was I guess I was 17. I was working as a kind of a youth with the youth as I was going to college all through my college years with the youth in our church and, uh, you know, just different different things that we were doing. But then when I got to Arkansas, that's when I met a, a associate pastor of the church I was attending. And he wanted to um, he called me aside and said, you know what, I'd like to disciple you. Well, discipleship had never been a big thing in my life. So we met for a year in my apartment on Thursdays, me and 11 other guys, and just were going through the Bible. And I think that's what my deepening of my walk with Christ, even though I was a follower of Christ, my walk deepened through that experience that year, year and a half. And that's when the Lord was said, you know, it's ready, it's time. And just really convic convinced me that um, there was more out there and I needed, to be do I needed to be utilizing my skills for him in the ministry. So... That's uh, that's kind of how I did. You started back then at 1992. That's 30 years that you've been involved with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And your bio that I read at the very beginning said that you've been into Brazil and Niger and Cameroon. Are there other places you have been? Where has this ministry taken you in these 30 years? Wow. Um, when you asked that question, I had to go back and think of all the countries I've been to um, and I listen out of India, Australia, Nigeria, East Timor, Thailand, and even went back to Brazil for a second time to do an audio recording of the Book of Acts in a language down there. So it's it's been a, a world of travel. It's um, 
it's a big world and I, I really have enjoyed the people I've met, the places I've been, um, just all over. Sometimes I wish I could have taken my wife on some of those trips, but because of the nature of the work, they're really, you know, I was there for three weeks or so and it just wouldn't have worked with our family here. So yeah, many countries. And with that then, you know, which one maybe was the most impressive or most, you know, I guess, which one left an impression on you? Wow. Um, I'm sure there's lots of moving experiences. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, The trip to East Timor was probably the one that affected me. Um, I've been to India twice and I really, the need there for the gospel and everything is so great. Um, but East Timor was probably the one I went there for five weeks to do a dubbing of the Luke video into a language and just seeing how the people reacted when they saw the, the video, the finished product, it was really impressive to me to see the power of the gospel. The Luke video is a word for word, uh, presentation of the book of Luke. Um, and so what we did was we recorded the language in the, we had different people that spoke the language of Tetindili, and then we dubbed it into the video itself. And I got to watch some native, some not native, but some Tetindili speakers watch the video and just to see how they were engaged in it, how interested they were in it. It was really just moving for me. Um, just, you know, you don't see that kind of thing here in the U.S. as much. And I, I think that was probably the most most impressive to me. So part of your work, as you just mentioned, has been dubbing videos, doing media work, audio recording, storytelling, music, drama, all of these things, incorporating the native language of the people. So that means that there must be a lot of different Bible translations that Wycliffe Bible Translators has done. So are you aware of kind of the profound number that that might be? Yeah. Um, in 2018, the Wycliffe Bible translators dedicated their 1000th New Testament, completed one in the Calico language in Sudan. Um, it was about 30,000 speakers. Now, that was four years ago. And since then, I think there have probably been an additional 50 or 60 more that have been completed and dedicated and um processed um so we're we're well over a thousand uh out of seven thousand three hundred and fifty three languages in the world i know that doesn't sound like much but other organizations working with us are are that we partner with are doing the same work you know we're we're reaching the languages more and more quickly now um it's it's an interesting work but um yeah we've done over a thousand Yeah, that's incredible. And as you mentioned earlier, just to think about learning the language and then being able to do it. So this isn't something that happens overnight. You don't put it through a computer and (laughs) translate all or something like that. Like you're literally working word by word, sentence by sentence. And I just can't even imagine uh, how long it could take. Yeah. It can take, like I said, some of the earlier translations were done, took 20 years. Um, There was a lady working with a language in Brazil that I got to go down and do the acts recording for. She spent 50 years working the language there for 2,000 speakers. 
And part of that was because she could not get into the tribe all the time. It was in a, a reserve, kind of a, a park area set aside by the Brazilian government. And so there was a 30-year period where she was not allowed to even go into the language. But she would find people coming out of that group, and she would talk with them and work with them. But uh, she was 80 years old um, when I went down there and did that recording with her, and she uh, she's still going strong. Uh, she passed away shortly after we finished that recording, but she spent 50 years of her life working for that language group there. So, Yeah, 50 years at, for 2,000 people that speak it. But when you think about it in the big picture, the word of God changes lives. It brings life to souls. So, of course, that work that she did, that labor was significant and important for the sake of the gospel and the transmission of faith and belief. Yes, it was. It was very important for them. I mean, even if there were one person, God would still want to save that one person. You told me on the plane that Wycliffe Bible Translators has some very, you know, kind of innovative things that they were doing back in the day and um, and I'm sure continuing to evolve as the trends of media and such, uh, as we see them go, uh, that we want to bring the gospel kind of in these new means and such, what John Paul II called the new evangelization. And one of the ways that you did that was that you had uh, comic books, you did animation. What are some of those projects that you did to communicate the scriptures? Um. You know, it's interesting, a little history on this. Uh, in the late 80s, uh, we found out that Wycliffe figured out that they, in order to get people engaged with Scripture, you had to put it in a format that they related to, because not everyone reads. Uh, as more and more of the languages were being worked, it's discovered that a lot of the groups that we were working with were oral cultures. They didn't have much use for written text to share information. Um, low literacy rates, which meant that if the people were going to use the printed scriptures, they'd have to be taught to read and write. So some of the translated materials just sat on shelves and wasn't used. Well, this uh, one person really got the idea that we need to engage them in the way they talk, in the way they communicate information, whether that's through storytelling, dance, drama, singing, even music. Um, one of the tools that has been very successful is just the dubbing of religious videos in local languages. Like I talked about the Luke video, there's the Jesus film, the math video, there's Matthew, there's one in Mark, John, Acts, Genesis, and the book of Ruth. And the funny thing is people love to watch videos. Um, we, uh, the biggest tool, though, that has really facilitated that has been the cell phone. At last count, uh, last year, they estimated there were over 15 billion mobile devices operating in the world. Um, now, for a world population of 8 billion, that means that a lot of people have two cell phones. But almost all of these are capable of playing an audio recording, and most of them can handle video clips. And there's tons of apps out there that have access to recorded audio scriptures in over 1,000 languages, and they're all free to download. Um, those are probably the the audio and the video has probably been the biggest tool for us to use. Um, I do know we have an ethnomusicology department within Wycliffe that works with music and how people who do their own cultural music can actually do music that praises God and, and communicates the message of the gospel. Um, one website I would encourage people to go to if they can find it is scriptureearth.org. 
Uh, it's a website managed by one of Wycliffe partners to archive all the resources in the different languages of the world. You can go there and you can click on a language and you can see uh, a video has been produced or an audio recording or, or a printed Bible. And in some cases, you can download those re resources. Uh, over a thousand languages available there. So yeah, scriptureearth.org. I would, I'd really like that site. It's a good one for people to check out. I'm sure that in the work that you have done with Wycliffe Bible Translators, that you've seen the impact of bringing the Bible into someone's life. Are there any stories you could share about just kind of that work and, and seeing it alive in the people that you serve? Yeah, the, the one that comes to mind was when we were in Brazil, uh, there was a couple, uh, two ladies that were working with a language group called the Palmari. Pamari in uh, in the jungle of West Brazil. They had spent, uh, I guess, 16 years, somewhere about that, working with the New Testament. When they first arrived, the village was kind of small. It was only like 250, 300 people living in the middle of the jungle. And they uh, really were low on, they, how do I describe this? They were, um, I can't, I can't think of the right word I want. But let's just say their their attitude, their mental stability area was kind of low. Their self-esteem was kind of low because they considered themselves just outcasts. But they went in and they started translating the Bible. And in the process, people heard the scriptures in their own language and started coming to Christ. And as they finished up, when they finished the New Testament, there was a, uh, the, the group had grown to about 350, 400. They had a higher health, self a higher self-esteem of their language and of their group. They had established a church. They had established elders on the, in that church. The church was sending missionaries to neighboring tribes. They had a clinic that they established that was totally run by the, the natives there, the Indians. And they were learning to deal with the traders who would come up river and try and buy their goods and stuff. So they weren't getting ripped off all the time. So the, the whole society increased dramatically just through the presence of these ladies giving them the scripture. Um, the whole tribe, I believe, became Christians. And uh, it was just it was just a neat, a neat way to see how the scriptures can change a whole culture. You know, it just gave them life. Um, wow. And it, ultimately yeah, there was one gives them eternal life as well. Exactly, exactly. So it's nice to know that when we get to heaven and stand before the throne, there will be some poverty there, you know, celebrating in their own language. Who knows? Um, but I, I got one more story I'd like to tell. It's about a guy <clears throat> when I was doing the Tetsundili um, dubbing there. And we were recording a section. I was recording this guy, and he was doing the part where uh, narrating – where Jesus was beaten before he actually went on the cross. And we were started the section. I said, okay, just read the section like it is. He was reading it and he started reading it and he stopped. And I said, everything okay? He said, yeah, just give me a minute. And so he started reading the section again, how they were whipping him, how they whipped Jesus and, and really just um, flogged him. And he stopped again. And I said, it's okay, you know, just take your time. I said, is everything all right? And he said, you know, it's just I've never read this in my language, and I never realized how much Christ suffered for me. 
And so I, that really affected me in a big way. Because, you know, he spoke Portuguese and he'd read the Portuguese Bible. But until he spoke, read it in the Tetundili language, the language of his heart, that's when the gospel really made its way in. And I mean, it was it was a profound moment for him and for me to watch him as he just kind of wept a little bit, you know, understanding Christ Christ suffered for all of us and for him. So that was that was really moving. Oh, yeah, sure. That's incredible. And kind of just on a similar note, I had that experience recently uh, because the very reason that I was going to Spain was to visit the this monastery of nuns in Agreda because of Sor Maria. And Sor Maria had these visions of the life of Jesus and Mary, and she wrote them down in a four-volume work. And me, as a crazy man, decided to read 2,500 <laughs> pages in 365 days as an audio podcast. You know, uh, a thousand people or so every day are listening uh, to these episodes of me reading this and then commenting on it. But I talked with a parishioner of mine, actually someone local, and they what I was just reading The Passion, and the, that came alive for her through the writings of Maria of Agreda. Because, of course, we've read the scriptures, we know the Palm Sunday readings, we know Good Friday, all of that. But just kind of some of the greater detail that Maria of Agreda wrote just really pierced that person's heart. And they told me that they had to take a few days off from listening because they were so overwhelmed by how much Jesus suffered for them. So that's something wow. that, you know, your your story, that comes out, this little story of Maria of Agreda. And so that's how coming to know Jesus and learning more about him, what it can do for our hearts and souls. Amen. Amen. That's for sure. It's life-changing. And one of the things as we've been talking is, is we're sharing, you're sharing about how people have encountered the Word of God and reading it in their language. So ultimately, the Bible is meant to be read and lived and prayed with. In the letter to the Hebrews, it says that, you know, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the heart. It's living and effective. How do you then, as a Wycliffe Bible translator immersed in the scriptures, how do you pray with the Bible? Um, I tend to um, pray that you use the promises of the scriptures when I start my prayers. I know we have members and I've known people who actually pray the words of the scriptures. Um, and there's that's excellent. Um, it's there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good way to number one get familiar with them, and number two to really understand the depth of the promises that are there. For me, there are certain verses that come to mind when I start my prayer time, and I start out with those by mainly just recognizing, you know, God. Like Isaiah twenty six three says, "You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast because they trust in you." And I'll start off with that, and I'll say, "Lord, I want my mind to be steadfast. I want to trust you. I want to trust you more." So keep me, I want that perfect peace, and then I can start my prayer time with that in mind. Another one is Psalm, 37, uh, Psalm 37, 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. And I'll just say, Lord, I delight in you. I want to delight in you more so that my steps are firm. Guide me in this. So um, there's different, just different ways of doing it, but those are the ones that really, just the promises. You take the promise, you state it, and you say, Lord, this is what I believe, and I am going to stand on this. You are my rock, my strong and mighty tower, my shelter in the midst of storm. 
I agree with that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow through on it and trust it. Yeah, I think sometimes too when I lead prayer, I I often call to mind the fact that Jesus says in the Gospels, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. And so, in a sense, Amen. welcoming the presence of Christ gathered among us, and then uh, continuing that prayer. So I, I've even done that too. So so that's a beautiful way to pray with the scriptures. In our Catholic tradition, uh, we have a few different ways that some of the saints taught. So Saint Benedict taught something called Lexio Divina which basically is like reading a passage of the scripture. So let's say you read six verses and maybe there's a word there, like a verb or something that strikes you. And so then you begin meditating on that word. Well, what is God trying to say to me through this word? And then allowing then that kind of prayerful exercise. There's four steps there. Or St. Ignatius of Loyola, the Jesuit, the founder of the Jesuits, he said, you know, to imagine praying with the scriptures and using your imagination and placing yourself there. Like, what do you see? What do you hear? Who do you think you are? Or where are you in the gospel? So those are a few different ways that Catholics might tend to approach the scriptures, especially in praying with them, uh, if they're going to dedicate, you know, five to 10 minutes of praying with them. But uh, I, I think another way that people pray with the scriptures or come to know the scriptures is especially through Bible study. That could be a formal Bible study, reading a Bible study that someone has written or participating in one with a group of people, like much like that pastor did uh, with the 11 of you when he discipled you. So if people want to start reading the scriptures, maybe they're not even ready to go to that next step and say, I want to go to a Bible study. What would be your recommendation for someone to pick up the Word of God every day? Maybe that's something they've struggled with. I don't read the Bible enough. Uh, How can someone read it more? You know, um, I've I've struggled with this in my past as well, uh, as far as getting into a routine of reading the Scripture daily. And uh, the main thing is you got to be intentional about it. You have to. It's something that you have to want to do because I've learned in my walk that. Whenever I start being intentional about something like Bible reading or Bible study or whatever, that's when I'm going to be hit with most of the temptation, most of the the things to hinder me. So I have to be intentional about it and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, this is something I want to do. This is something I need to do. And I know that through your word, I'll, I'll get to know you better. And so you, it's just intentionality. But, it, you know, if you're and if you're not ready for a formal Bible study group, I would find a friend or two and say, hey, let's read through the Bible together and maybe separately. And then we'll come together once a week and just hold each other accountable. If you got somebody holding you accountable. Say, hey, what did you read? Have you been kept keeping up with them? And there's thousands of devotions and Bible reading schedules and things out there that you can use and just uh, do it a one on one in the for, in the beginning. Um and just say, you know, I want to do this. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Will you do it with me? And let's let's hold each other accountable on this, make sure that we're covering all this. And that can lead to Bible study uh, later on, which which is the ultimate goal, you know, to, to delve into the Word and discover what Christ wants to show you, what the Spirit wants to show you through that. As a married person, as husband and wife, as, you know, mother and father, uh, you and your wife then— was Bible reading a part of your own family spirituality, reading together? Um, not as much together. 
but yes, we, we read it together and things. But uh, one of the things we did was when our boys were born, we read the Bible to them every night. And uh, that was something that without fail. And I had a children's Bible that I started out when, when they were young. And we would read through it, and I'm probably four or five times. And then as they got older, we'd move to a regular, We, you know, when they reached the area, the age where they could understand more complex terms, we started reading just the regular Bible. And I we read through it a couple of times with each of our kids, all four of our boys. So, yes, it's been a part of our, our life. It's been a part of our marriage, part of our raising of our children. Um, it's something that even now my boys say, you know what? I can still remember things that you read to me and they have a great knowledge of the word as far as what's in it, what stories are there. And uh, we're really thankful to the Lord for that. I'm thinking about kind of the biblical illiteracy of our times and just the fact of what you shared that as a father, reading the scriptures to your kids at bedtime, tucking them in, whatever, reading the stories that I'm sure parents, as they do that, that they're learning something about the sacred scriptures or they're being reminded about something from their own youthfulness uh, if they're not as familiar with the Bible as they ought to be. Oh, yeah, that's that's for sure. And I tell you what, if you want to get challenged in your in your spiritual knowledge, just read read scriptures to your children and then let them ask questions. And you'll find some of the questions they ask are very deep, very, very uh, challenging to uh, to explain sometimes. And you just have to say, you know, son, let me review it. Let me research that a little bit and we'll talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a challenging thing. There are lots of passages of the scripture. You quoted a few that you pray with yourself, incorporating that into your prayer to God. I'm wondering, though... The, I think a lot of people have kind of scripture passages that kind of become their motto of their life, that they uh, that just speak to them, and maybe they repeat them from time to time, uh, reminding them. You know, maybe for some people, it's simply the words of Jesus that say, "Do not be afraid; I am here with you." Uh, that He says in the mm-hmm. Gospels. But uh, is there a favorite Bible passage or, or scripture verse? Uh, that, you know, has become the model of your life. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say that my, my favorite book of the Bible is Philippians. I've always enjoyed reading it, uh, the whole thing about how Christ didn't deem the glories of heaven something to be held on to, but lowered himself and came to earth and suffered and died. Um, that's, I really enjoy that. I mean, I, I really, it really speaks to me and means a lot to me. Um, because how Paul wrote to the Philippians, there's so much truth there. And I guess if there were one passage that really would be a verse for me, it's it's Philippians 4, 6, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That That's just, that is such a comforting verse for me. Um, you know, be anxious for nothing because I tend to be anxious a lot. (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that's a very powerful line of the scriptures and probably one that people need to hear more. And and, um, yeah, and it talks about our prayer for others and doing so with thanksgiving. I think so often in our spiritual lives, we pray for things, we pray for others, 
But maybe we don't include that thanksgiving enough. And even the kind of the spiritual practice of thanking God ahead of time, like, I know you're going to work, God, and so I thank you for this as I pray for you know, this person with cancer or as I pray for this intention or whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's a very powerful uh, scripture passage that you had there. Amen. Amen. Now, kind of to stay on brand with the fact that I'm a Marian theologian and such, uh, Mary is a part of the sacred scripture. So uh, we know her story, especially from Luke's gospel uh, that tells us that uh, her role as the mother of Jesus, uh, the Annunciation, her visitation to Elizabeth, the birth, you know, so it kind of details a lot of the early life of Mary with Christ. And then John, for example, tells us she was at the wedding feast at Cana. So uh, Mary then, I, I know that Catholics and Protestants approach Mary differently, but the scriptures are always a good place to start with conversation about her. And I'm just wondering, in your own life of ministry and missionary work, have her words or example ever inspired you? You know, I, I looked at this question, I've thought about this, and uh, you're right, Protestants do approach Mary differently from what Catholics do. But I think it's important to note that every person that's mentioned in the scriptures, there's some level of importance due to the fact that God, through his spirit and through the writers of the scriptures, included them for a reason. All the way from, you know, the greatest, some of the greatest people like Moses, down to the least of those, like the paralytic on the mat that Jesus healed. God reveals something of himself through all of these people. And he has something he wants to teach us. That otherwise, he wouldn't be in the scriptures. And I think when I read the narrative of Mary in the Gospels, I the thing that amazes me is her simple acceptance of the Lord's plan for her. You know, she's a descendant of David, so she's part of the lineage through which Christ was foretold to come. But when the angel appears to her, she's not afraid or scared. She just shows unwavering acceptance of what the angel Gabriel tells her about the child she's to bear. You know, Luke one thirty seven, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Just simple recognition that this is what the Lord has said he was going to do, and then humble acceptance on her part. Um, you know, I've, I've used that because many times in our 30 years of missions, uh, the Lord's doing a particular work at different stages. But as I look back, I really see his hand guiding and leading every step of the way. And I can't say I was always the willing servant that the Lord wanted. Uh, I haven't always shown that simple exception of God, acceptance of God in the events of my life. But you know what? He's always come through. And I think just the fact that she hears this young girl and she says, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do it. And that's that's really the the thing about Mary that really impressed me of that character. And then, you know, just how her her faith through the following times, you know, as the church is being established, or even find her meeting with the disciples in, in Acts, you know, she was part of that group there too. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the way I approach it. So. Yeah. One of the ways that I always summarize Mary and you kind of just said it there right at the end of your answer is I, I always tell people that Mary prayed really, Lord, I want what you want for my life, not what I want. And so she allowed herself exactly. to do God's will completely. And uh, I wrote this in one of my books, I think it was a heart like Mary's, you know, uh, it, it was well, one of the days was like allowing God to change your plans because Mary had the plan for her life, what she was going to do and all of these different things. 
But yet God comes in, says, through an angel, I want you to be the mother of Jesus. I know this isn't what you imagine, but this is what's <laughs> going to happen. And and she does it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's something that's always been, uh, that's resonated with me quite a bit. And that's a prayer I often repeat to, Lord, I want what you want for my life, not what I want. So um, I repeat that quite a bit. And probably why Amen. I preach on it and why I share that so often with people. <laughs> yeah. The lesson we all need to learn as as followers of Christ. So the Wycliffe Bible Translators is named after John Wycliffe. They founded, uh, you know, several decades ago. You've translated the Word of God into over a thousand languages. What do you think John Wycliffe, if he was alive or you could talk to him today, what do you think you would say about the work that you've done and that the work that so many others have done with Wycliffe Bible translators? Boy, that's a really good question. I, I've never really thought about it, but uh, I think he would probably be um, grateful and um, thankful to the Lord for what's happening because anybody who translates has to remember that you know the, the verse that Jesus that God says my word will go forth and do what I accomplish do what I want it to accomplish it'll not return to me void it'll not come back and be worthless and I think that's every translator whose work probably has had that in the back of their mind because God's word will do what he wants it to and it's not a it's not a worthless thing that we're doing it's not like translating uh, just a, a story from, oh, I don't know, uh, some of the great epics, you know, Moby Dick or something into another language. Yeah, that's going to be all right. But the Bible has the most profound effect. And I think John Wycliffe would probably be, um, I'm not going to say pleased, but he would be. He'd probably be pleased with the work that's going on. Um, and just, uh, yeah, uh, patting us on the back saying, good job. You're doing it right. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question, Edward, and I'm, I'm glad you asked it. Kind of, I'm going to have to ask some of my friends what they think about that. Yeah, just a few episodes ago, I talked to a guy that did a documentary about probably one of the greatest American Catholic churchmen uh, of the last century, uh, Cardinal Francis George. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, what do you think if Cardinal George could watch this video right next to you? What would he say to you at the end of it, you know? And uh, so that's kind of what I was thinking about as we're bringing our conversation to a close today. I wonder what John Wycliffe would make of all of this. So, well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot about Wycliffe Bible translators from you, from our conversation on the plane, and even more so today by bringing it to my podcast. And uh, I'm grateful for the work you do to spread the word of God. Uh, and how you've cooperated with God's calling and the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And if people want to learn more about Wycliffe Bible Translators and the work you're doing, uh, what what should they do? Where should they visit online? Um, you can go to the Wycliffe website, which is just uh, Wycliffe.org, W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E dot O-R-G. And there's all kinds of information there about our organization and the work we're doing. And uh, if you want to look at a bio of some of the people that are doing some of the work, you can go into the find a missionary section. There's a tab up there to click. Um, but that's probably the best place. Um, I can't, there are other, or there, there are links to other organizations that we partner with on there as well. 
Pioneer Bible, Lutheran Bible Society, and others. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of Bible translation resources that you can find there. But just for the work of Wycliffe, that's that's the best site, Wycliffe.org. And that's great. And how long do you think you'll keep doing this work? I know, I know the answer will be <laughs> as long as God calls me. But uh, how many more years will you be dedicating? Do you think? Oh, uh, you know what? I've thought that. Uh, well, I'm 64 now, and I've thought that uh, question a lot over the past year or so. And I think at least till I'm, I'm hoping to go till I'm 70, and then if I retire. I can actually volunteer with Wycliffe on a half-time basis as a as a retiree. So we'll just see. Um, it's kind of like you said, as the Lord leads me. But uh, ministry isn't just through an organization. Ministry is my life. You know, it's how I approach people. It's how I see other people, how I pray for them, how I talk to them. And the Jesus light shines through me to them. So even after retirement, you know, I'll I'll still be hopefully – shedding his light to those around me that need it. But yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking another five or six years before I really uh, hang up my wings, as I would have said as a pilot. Sure, sure. And uh, I'm so grateful our paths crossed on that plane, on that flight across the pond. And uh, it's no surprise to people who know me that I would strike up a conversation and that somehow I would befriend the person and we would be talking after we deplaned so many months ago. Uh, there, there's a story that uh, I was flying the day that the airlines were hacked. And so there was this ransom or whatever. And uh, I missed my connection in Salt Lake City to go to Albuquerque. And there were two other flights to Albuquerque. I get rebooked, all that. And uh, the guy told me, you know, just remember my name. And if there's ever any problem, just ask for me by name. And so, of course, I needed him. And I remembered his name. But I befriended some of the people that were in that line, just talking casually. And uh, one of the couples was from Wisconsin, where I'm from. Uh, they live about uh, four and a half hours away from me. But I've actually gone to their house around Christmas. And, you know, it, it was just a... Uh, we struck up a conversation in the airport. We went to a restaurant, continued it there, and we ended up meeting in Albuquerque. They called me and said, what are you doing? Come on over and have dinner on the rooftop <laughs> with us, you know? So it was, uh, you know, it's just interesting how certain relationships can form in the most unlikely scenarios and situations. Boy, that's for sure. Uh, you sound like you're a lot. I'm. I think we're kindred spirits in that aspect because I will talk to a complete stranger uh, in line or, or at the airport or whatever. I, I have no, it doesn't, I'm not afraid of reaching out extrovert. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a, there's a lot of neat people God's put in this world. Um, there's a lot of neat people. That's right. Well, thanks so much, Ken, for taking time out of your life as a missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators to talk with me today and to allow me to introduce people to something that's a bit different and out of kind of the realm that usually I talk about. So thanks so much for your willingness to be here today. You bet, Edward. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. 
If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.